you just have to put yourself out there. All right, brother, go ahead. Let everybody know who you are. Yeah, my name's Trevor Coulter. I uh, grew up in Seattle, Washington, and uh, been living here in Los Angeles area for a little over eight years now, I think going on about eight and a half years. Um, I actually moved out to California with um, a good friend of mine. Um, actually, I was living in New York prior to this. Uh, right out of high school, I actually went to culinary school. I did a whole bachelor's program in uh, baking and pastry arts and culinary arts management. And that was uh, kind of the vision for a long time was to, uh, uh, food and music have always been very integral, part of, part of who I am and part of my passions. Um, and when I was in culinary school, the kind of what I was envisioning was a, a dessert bar, jazz club back in Seattle, uh, you know, something that could kind of combine both of my passions in an interesting way. And as I was going through the program and uh, eventually graduated from culinary school, um, my roommate in uh, culinary school, named Sean Storvogel, a uh, great musician as well, uh, we decided to move out to California because the, the bug of music was kind of biting a little bit harder than um, a lot of the, the work that you find in restaurants. While, while uh, it's very rewarding, oftentimes you don't get a lot of the face-to-face -face interaction with the people you're doing it for. And that was kind of leaving something to be desired. And um, so we both moved out to California with kind of the honest pursuit of just finding our way into music. We um, were kind of traditionally singer-songwriters at heart. Uh, played a lot of coffee shops in New York, just trying to find our sound as well as just playing a lot of covers. Actually, when I was in culinary school, I would make little pilgrimages down to New York City. My school is about an hour and a half north of uh, Manhattan in Poughkeepsie as the Culinary Institute of America. And I'd go down on weekends and I'd busk in the city for tips. I'd actually put out my, my chef's hat in my uh, guitar case that helped me pay for culinary school. And I'd play in the green markets. And that was a really cool way to interact with people and, and see what, what got people to engage as well. And um, it definitely had this real strong foundation of, of really, really getting people to to come alive in that that person-to-person -person interaction, and, and that kind of as I was mentioning, it was something I was really yearning for in the in the food world that I was in, and uh, so I think that was kind of the foundation for things starting to kind of shift towards music more. And uh, upon coming out to to California, I was working in restaurants for a while just because that's where a lot of my you know my practical learning was in. But we were always trying to push ourselves into creating on our own. We picked up production on our own. Um, I started in Logic. I actually still use Logic for uh, primarily for, for producing, uh, and it was a lot of a you know a self self discovery in a lot of ways beyond just the traditional like go online and learn how to play some songs. Um, but we also had a pretty good foundation. Um, when I say we, I mean my my roommate who, uh, Sean, who moved out to California with me. We had a good foundation in an instrument, so we both grew up playing guitar, and that was kind of our our into. Um, the whole world of it and trying to find our way. And then when production kind of became more of a, more accessible and be, it kind of found its way into my life, I realized that this, you know, one person band thing was just 
it, it could be anything, you know, and whereas so much of my writing beforehand was based off of uh, just one person and an instrument. Now it just blew up in my whole world to the idea that, you know, any sound was at your disposal. And I've always been someone who's really loved the technicalities of, of art. And um, I think that's something that really interested me in, in the production side of things. So after a while, I, I decided to get back into school for music, um, for production and recording. I ended up attending uh, the LA College of Music in Pasadena. I did a two-year program there. And I was originally, when I started school, I was um, kind of on the fence of whether I wanted to go as an instrumentalist for guitar or I wanted to go for production. And thinking about kind of a, a longevity of a career, I was seeing a lot more opportunity in the world of, of production uh, rather than just going and becoming a say a master at a single instrument yeah. and I really really found a lot of love for that that broadness of that world of, of production in general and especially a lot of love for some of the um, traditional producer roles like say the Rick Rubens of the world who take a record they, they bring the band in and they help evolve the sound through their expertise and their knowledge of the recording process and what tools and colors to paint with if you will for yeah. you know, another an analogy and i really loved how uh, how deep that got and um and also what a beautiful way to start to be part of the artist's worlds that i really admired as well and that was something um that I, I was kind of opened up to through engineering. Now, engineering wasn't something I originally sought as a career path or even really had that much interest in while I was in school. It was more of uh, more on the side of creating was what really brought my, my highest high out of me. Uh, and then one day in, uh, while I was in my program at music school, my songwriting teacher came into class. Her name's Cassia Livingston and she proposed the idea of, of uh, an internship. If anybody at school was was interested uh, in an internship, an engineering internship at Atlantic Records and my ears perked up and just, cause I didn't have a whole lot of uh, plans besides just continuing to make music post-graduation and trying to figure it out as an artist or trying to make my way networking is just person to person. And this seemed like some, some foundational, you know, some footing uh, to be able to build off of and one of my, um, my teachers uh, who, he shared a studio space in Highland Park with another producer named Chris Lorenz who also did a fair amount of writing for Atlantic. And so I was able to, through some of my, um, my connections at the school, put in a good word for me at this, uh, this internship. And now my, my school didn't even have an internship program at the time. And, you know, as someone who is really keen on trying to find what was next, I was had a you know a fire under my ass about like all right I, if this is a you know a possibility how do I how do I go about this and how do I actually make this a real thing so I remember meeting with our career counselors for the last couple months before graduation and really trying to figure out how to make this actually happen and uh, ended up getting into the program developing essentially the internship program um, which allowed me to then um, go through as an intern uh, at, at Atlantic, which was a lot of the basic remedial tasks. You're doing a lot of uh, running for you know, clients, doing liquor runs and food runs, cleaning the studios, uh, not a lot of glamorous work, but the energy of the place was just so palpable. And I just remember walking into that, 
that place and feeling like almost like a sense of like destiny of, of yeah. being there. And I even remember like going in on the, the morning of my interview for the internship and just like having this this overarching feeling that like this was part of my my story was this this day, regardless of whether I got accepted for the internship or not, that this this day was very paramount in in my the, my story and holding that energy, you know, through through my getting accepted into the internship program and uh, and then also just kind of desiring a little bit more getting that. Uh, my feet wet in the industry and then seeing what you know what it could really mean beyond beyond an internship you know what what do I want my role to be moving forward you know I, I have some new skills now and um, and a place to kind of exercise some of these skills but it, it ultimately comes down to like what kind of impact are you trying to try to have and and what do you want to do with those skills and uh I think that starting to see the industry at a, at a higher level um, just firsthand really opened me up to the possibilities of, of the different roles that you can play in the studio and, um, and how integrated into the process you can be. And that got me really, really excited. So it's been a real gradual learning process. And I, I went through the internship program and I, um, while I was coming to the end of my, my program, I was really interested in, in getting hired on by the studio. And I remember that we were just about to open up a new studio on Fairfax uh, Avenue. Um, and this was APG in Atlantic had um, a, a collaborative um, company partnership at that time. And so I remember talking to my studio manager, like I'm really interested in continuing to, to work here. Um, how can we make that a, a possibility? And I remember, you know, her basically being like, well, the end of your internship is, is technically coming to an end. And because, you know, we have to essentially have like a school credit in lieu of a payment for, for internship, we can't have you just keep coming, you know, without some kind of formal structure here. But we do, you know, we do really like the, the, um, the energy you bring to this place and the dedication you have to this. And, we can, you know, have you come as uh, essentially training for a for a position as an assistant, and that got me really excited too because I felt like that was that other, you know, as another foot in the door. Like it wasn't yeah. the job, it wasn't the job yet, but I saw the path, and I, you know, was still working in restaurants at the time because that internship was unpaid, and and even, um, you know, uh, assistantship was pretty as pretty low on the on the ladder as well. So yeah, I remember just really knowing that it, it required a certain uh, amount of, of dedication to it. And that was something I was, I was always ready to bring into the role. And I think partly too, that because um, relating this back to my time in, in the culinary world, um, a, lot of, a lot of my time, I feel like going to culinary school um, and seeing what, what that could become, or could become of that, I should say, was um, a lot of expectation based off of finding a career out of high school and uh, really trying to find that thing that you can make your own. And then the decision to go back to, to music school and really pursue music was very much on me. It was, you know, uh, a sense of responsibility that I assumed. And so I felt like I really had to go all in, um, especially when I was given those little opportunities. And I, um, 
I have a really big love for, for learning and for being able to put myself in, in uh, roles that continue to challenge me. And I kind of saw that um, the, uh, the position at Atlantic as a, as a chance to do that and to con continue to grow my skills in both a very specific type of way, but also to, you know, be meeting new people in the industry every day to, you know, just see the inner workings of how a label in modern world is able to function and what even what role they serve and, you know, how, how to operate within that, that framework, as well as how to operate outside of that framework, because there's a lot of different, you know, players in this industry and there's, can't say there's one right way to go about it, especially nowadays with how, um, with, with independent music and what you're able to achieve once you can build out a fan base on your own and whatnot. So it's been amazing to be able to just be a really good observer at the same time as like a, a learner. And I think that's what's helped me to kind of push along and to um, begin to start working with some of those, the bigger artists and to, I also think being an observer helps so much um, because you start to really understand what your role in the room is. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think goes in a professional setting as well as outside of a professional setting is really beginning to understand how to operate amongst other high profile people who have their own set of skills and not to step on what they're in the room for. And then also know that like, you know, a certain level is expected of you for being in the room and how to stick to that, you know? And sometimes you are just there because the artist just wants someone to cut and you go in and you, you make sure you're as timely as you can and everything's as pristine sounding as you can and the mic signal is all pr properly gained staged and all those technical aspects are taken care of um but you know sometimes people are looking for you to be an, an encouragement as well as uh you know paying attention to how they're holding their head while they're singing and delivering a line and sometimes they want you to go and and add the the creative take on you know a tone or an effect um and so it, it's it's a lot of um things that are unsaid a lot of times that you have to kind of be looking for those little social cues in order to kind of be a really effective player in those roles. But it's, it's constantly evolving and it's one I'm, I'm trying to get better out every time I step into the room with an artist or a songwriter um, because ultimately uh, I see myself as a, I kind of like to see it's like a, a Swiss army knife in the studio where I, I want to be able to contribute to the songwriting process to the, the engineering, the technical side of things, the mixing, and be able to make calls on all of that because you know that's a lot of where my, um, my history resides in a lot of these different areas. And I feel like as a, as a whole, that's what brings me the most joy out of contributing to, to the art that I'm a part of is, is being able to have a really well-rounded approach to, to my contributions. And that, that makes me feel really wonderful when I have artists that I get to work with that trust me um, to take those risks with them and to, to see where we can go with it because it's one of the most fascinating jobs on the planet where you get you have something at the end of the day that didn't exist before yeah yeah and, and something that can also connect with people 
in in ways that not a lot of other mediums can. So it's it's a real it's a real responsibility to uh, to be that kind of the, you know carry the torch for a lot of artists with them to the finish line, and uh, it's something I definitely take very seriously. And um, but also try and bring a lot of enjoyment and a lot of pleasure and um, and joy into the process too, because you know that's that's why we're we're doing this is is because the inspiration feels so good or the moments when something just connects. Uh, that's you know that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing replaces the feeling of completing a song to me personally. Mm. Just, just a lot of people don't understand the process. I used to have friends that would want to come in the studio with me because they thought that it was going to be some crazy like party. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a lot of work. It's right. way more than they think. It's like the same line over and over and over again until we get it right, doing the same Absolutely. cut, the same edit. You know, and they're tired. They're ready to go get some food by like 30, 40 minutes into it. You know, like, oh, yeah. just let me know when it's done, dude. I'll come listen to the finished track. <laughs> like, oh, it's not going to be done today, bro. It's going right, right. to be a while. Yeah. Even my uh, my partner, my girlfriend, who helps me run the studio, uh, she often will be like, I don't know how you listen to the same line over and over while you're doing those little EQ tweaks just to get it sounding just right. And there is something... Uh, you know, where my brain is okay with that. And also I see those incremental, you know, increases in value, like the time I invest into it and the product becoming better and better with that amount of attention I put into it. It's, it's so exciting to be able to see like a direct correlation between the input and the output. I think there's, you know, there's a lot to that. And, and one thing that I think is cool is being able to listen to something or create something and know in your mind what it's going to sound like when it's finished. I think that's sure. a that's a real talent. I, I've met a lot of people that can do it and some that can't. And, you know, I'm hesitant to even show people my rough drafts of things because I don't know if they have that ability. Mm -hmm. right? Because in my head, I can hear the highs, the lows, the ad, everything. I can hear all of it. And, right. and I can hear what it's going to sound like, what it has the potential to be. And, sure. and people I do, I don't, I, they don't hear it. So I can't, you know, but I think it's just something that you, we have in us, man, to be creators. Uh, I think everybody's a creator, it, not mm -hmm. just, you know, through music and everything else. I tell the kids all the time with these social platforms, with the picture, post, a tweet or a TikTok. I mean, you can influence millions of people everybody has the ability to be a creator in fact if there's one job that artificial intelligence probably won't take it's being creative what a human being can be you know i think sure. that's what we are actually meant here to be or yeah. meant, what we are here and what we're meant to do is be creators be creative absolutely and that's something that i think um is really special about art in general is at a certain point, a lot of us have the same tools to work with, you know, but what really comes into play is, is your taste and your entire life's experience that has given you, you know, what you like about something and what you don't like about something. I remember I had this class in school um, called, uh, it was an appreciation of, of music. And it was um, taught by uh, this amazing bassist named Mark Brown. And one of the things he, he talked about was, you know, when you're listening to a song and you don't like it, you should be just as active to identify the parts that you don't like 
whether it's the tone of an instrument or the, you know, the rhythm that's being played, because those are the things to avoid when you go and make your own music and the sensibilities that you draw on when you, you know, you're stuck about what to do next. It's, you know, those are, those are a lot of guiding lights for you. And that's something that always really stuck with me. And that, that goes back to taste is, you know, why, why does someone come to you over someone else? It's because you have, a, you have your own taste and how you think someone, how, how you think something should sound. And that's part of that's being able to have that vision, you know, that, that goes beyond what is what's here right now and what it can be. Um, but that also comes through a lot of uh, active listening, a lot, a lot of active listening. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, there's um, been, you know, a good chunk of the past couple of years where I've just been obsessed with when I listen to a record that just like really not, not just the mix sounds great. A lot of it's the mix helps to really define the context of the music. So you can, you're not distracted by, you know, thing frequencies poking out or whatnot, <laughs> but you know, you but you, when you listen to something and it just like sonically sounds just wonderful and pleasing, I become obsessed with what are those details that, that they're leaning on to, you know, what, what does the, the warmth of the guitar sound like against the little pitter patter of the drums or, you know, all those little micro things, they really add up to make this beautiful picture. And I think you have to obsess over the details, like at least as an observer in order to get an, underst an understanding uh, because then that helps inform your process as well. So Bro, I, literally, I literally have chills right now because you don't understand. I don't get to talk to people that much anymore after yeah. moving <laughs> back home in, in Midland that have this love for music like I do and mm. can actually understand what it's like to listen to something and, and feel the way that I feel when I, and when I, mm. you know, connect with music. Sure. I, you know, and it's not just the words, it's not just the beat. It's, it's sometimes I, I tell people music captures a moment in time. Mm -hmm. Good, good music really can do that. That's why it brings us back to moments in our lives. And, Absolutely. and here recently, you know, when I, when I hear something that sometimes it's just one line out of a song, I'm like, Ooh, that was it. Like they were in that flow state for a second. They were mm -hmm. there, you know, and sometimes it doesn't last the entire song, but but, you know, when you create something and you feel it and you're just like, you're in it and it's like, wow, everything came together at that point. It was perfect. Definitely. It was, you know, something to that. Yeah, I think um, I heard something. I was actually at a, a live theater performance a couple of years ago. And before the performance, um, they had a panel of, of artists and authors um, speaking about just the creative process in general. Uh, and Jackson Brown was one of the the people on the panel. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me uh, was that the best music has a way of um, really touching into the human condition. Mm. And, and that's kind of like what, why I think pop music, like really good pop music um, is, is that because it's kind of like, it's a very concise way of talking about really universal themes yeah um and i'm sure you, you go and you listen to you know a song like at last by etta james and it's yeah. just like it, it just there's something so palpable about what's being said in so many words um but i also th think something that he he kind of commented on that that was really interesting um in in relation to that was that he was essentially saying that it's rare for an artist in their entire career to have multiple 
just mega smashes, for instance, partly because your reference to this, these giant human condition moments are usually kind of few and far between. We, you know, we only have kind of, a, as humans, I feel like we have a few kind of core themes that our life kind of tends to be about. Yeah. And, you know, so as an artist, you can tap into these themes, but a lot of times, like there's only, you only will have a few giant moments that are monumental where you can really kind of yeah. un unpack these themes. And so I thought that was a really interesting um, kind of analysis for like why people have success and what, like what they've tapped into when they do have their mega successes. Uh, as as far as like maybe songwriting and and writing something that connects to all of humanity, you know, yeah. in a timeless nature, you know, there's there's very few times I think we get to really see what those threads are that kind of connect us. Um, but also at the same time, being an observer, being someone who also um, pays attention to the details, you start yeah. to you start to get. Um, those things kind of come come to life and they'll they'll show themselves to you a lot more readily when you're paying attention. Um, but you have to, you know, really, really be looking for them. And some of my favorite things in um, when I have songwriting sessions as well is, you know, the first half an hour, hour sometimes, it'll just be us, you know, trying to find common ground of, you know, a lot of times it's like almost like a blind date where you've never met yeah. these people before <laughs> and you're you're in the room and you're trying to create something meaningful together but you don't know what your shared experiences are. And so you kind of have to start unraveling where you, what you're you know, currently going through. And then you'll start to see these little things kind of jump out of the conversation yeah. at you. And then usually somebody will say something in context of what you're talking about and you go, ah, that's our hook. And yeah. it's pretty amazing <laughs> because, because it's related to what is there. You know, um, I've, I've been reading um, Think and Grow Rich recently and yeah. one of the things they they talk about in the in the book, they meaning uh, Napoleon Hill, he um, he mentions when you're in conversation with someone, you know, you have your individual minds, but then um, you almost create an additional third mind that is the shared experience between you, that exists only in the container of that that meeting or that conversation, yeah. and um, and when you can understand what that third mind is i think that's you know a real um a real clue as to where to dive in a little bit deeper and and you know what's what's really right there for you all to kind of witness and to try and maybe uncover a little bit together explore a little bit together yeah dude you're just you're just speaking like directly to, to my soul right now i was a <laughs> i was a kid that like i would tell my friends what color is this song like this song is this mm. color this color and this color and they're like dude that don't even make sense like what do you mean what color is the song like close your eyes listen to the song and what color do you see yeah and, and and like I thought I was crazy for the longest time then I met my wife who's also a singer when I met her in Los Angeles she was working at Sony singing oh yeah and uh she it was the first person that understood that and I was like oh it's like something that not everybody has that and, mm -hmm. it, and not just that, but like songs like speak to me, like when people, when somebody plays me a beat, I'll tell you right away if I'm going to use it or not. But I can also tell you the name of that song within like mm -hmm. half a minute, like yeah. the song has the name in it, like it, it will tell you. And right. I tell people all the time, like, I'll ask the producer that made the song, like, what, what, what did you call it? 
because he, mm-hmm. he, he made it. So, I mean, like right. for some reason that word or that phrase was in your mind when you created this and right. whether, you know, it's the chicken or the egg, whichever one came first, you were going through that. So you created that or right. that music started to create that feeling in you. But right. either way, you know, I think I tell people all the time when I'm picking a producer or picking a song title or theme or whatever, it's like, I, I got to ask the producer, like what he was going through, what he was feeling, right. and what, what he named this beat, because that's what this beat was intended to be. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, it's energy that kind of just becomes structured in a way and it has a way of like living outside like your emotional state kind of living outside of your body in a way mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a form that's its own and so i i totally think that we have these you know associations with energy that yeah. kind of materialize themselves in song and it's really really awesome to you know be able to tap into something that's like it's out there in the ether just swarming above us and it's just like you just reached up and and picked it down and you know, but it's, but it's your experience that, that relates, you know, to that energy, um, you know, that it's, it's your entire process of even of discovery as an artist, where you're trying new things and seeing what works, you know, in order to inform yourself, like, oh, this is clearly, tr- this energy is saying this, you know, yeah. so you, you spend enough time with, with your own emotions, too, to, to know that when you hear something, and it makes you feel a certain way, that that's kind of has a correlation to it to some other you know rooted feeling or something else that needs to be said or you know what you're currently going through at the time but it's it's definitely um it's a process of of understanding yourself and understanding the world around you and then just trying to bring your own unique tastes and your own impressions and, and express that through what your you know what your creation wants to become Absolutely. So you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, what I feel like sometimes is that you know music is a collection of thoughts and emotions to me, mm. and a lot of times uh, the creators are kind of like lonely people in a sense that the way they express themselves is through their music. Right. That's how they talk to people. I was a shy kid growing up, and music was the way that I felt like I was talking to somebody because I could put right. the track on YouTube or something, somebody listened to it, and it was like, oh, people are listening to me but there was a physical disconnection between me actually going to somebody and opening up I could only open up into the notepad or into the you know sure notes in my phone and so it's like you know me going to psychology school and learning about these things and how the human mind works and things and I'm like oh music is is like an outlet it it really does help your mental health and and more than you know we've known it we've said music is medicine for the longest time people always say that why does it make us feel so good even when the song is negative because it makes us feel like we're not alone right Mm -hmm. it it makes us feel like we're not the only ones going through it yeah so absolutely so the people that you work with you yourself have you kind of noticed that trend of people that they're kind of they're kind of not as outgoing as you would think they would be until they get on the stage right they get on the stage they're they're who they are but when it's in their creative process they kind of like seem to go into this bubble yeah i think i think by by nature a lot of uh creative people tend to to you know be more isolated in the way that they create. Uh, I think it also kind of depends on on the energy of the the art that you're also trying to make. I've seen, you know, I've been part of trap sessions where the, the 
whole point is to have 35 people in the studio. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like they're at the club while they're making a club record. Yeah. And, you know, that's what they're trying to get out of it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I've also been in sessions like that where they have 35 people packed into the club, you know, into the studio like it's the club. And the artist doesn't want anybody to hear what they're performing until yeah. it's fully cut and the engineers had all the time to like kind of give it a rough mix too. Yeah. And so I understand that they're, yeah, like even in that, that context, a lot of times people are like, I want to make sure this is like how I want it to be before I, you know, let people in on it. Cause it's a very vulnerable thing to yeah. create. <laughs> um, and, and, and also like once you, I think this is part of the, the reason why releasing music feels so good is because you are actually like bearing yourself to be judged and like while that may you know have its you know its scale of, of positives and negatives it's such a a beautiful place to like put yourself out there to be received you know because no one can understand what you're what you're about until you let people know yeah. and yeah it's a it's a process of of kind of uncovering yourself but i do find that a lot of uh, of artists tend to be more reserved by nature and actually kind of prefer a reserved life. Yeah. Um, and then they have like, like even um, Beyonce has her, uh, you know, her stage um, alter, alter ego, Sasha Fierce, who she <laughs> channels when she steps on stage, you know, that's, yeah. it's just like another identity, another energy that she can step into and another uh, that she can channel through her performance. And, you know, that's, that's amazing that she can have that you know, kind of distinction where it's like, okay, now I can clock off and live my life. And this, these are my mannerisms and whatnot. And I don't have to be, I don't have to be Sasha Fierce when I'm, you know, at the grocery store or whatnot, you know, but. And, and that's, and it's crazy, it, you know, the more success stories or documentaries that I watch about artists, uh, most people had that, they have that alter ego. And, yep. you know, I, I definitely did as a kid, but I, I was, a, I was a, only child it was just me my parents were teenagers in high school when they had me and my mom worked at the hospital 12-hour shifts I was alone a lot yeah. so, you know and I felt like people saw me in a certain light you know people saw this me that went to school that played sports that did all the regular stuff that that guy couldn't be this guy it wouldn't make mm. sense you know this right. guy had to be somebody else I don't know if mm -hmm. I told you the other day when we talked but I, I ran a studio in high school I did all the engineering yep. there and it was me uh, like 15 16 17 18 year old kid all those years uh, making grown grown people's music you know 30s 40s years old you know people coming through my studio it was only a rap studio basically I mean there was yep. a few country bands Tejano bands that came through but it was all hip-hop and it was just crazy to hear the stories and everybody's different walks of life. And that's what I learned is that most people are very vulnerable and insecure at the same time. Right. Yeah. They walk in there like ready to do it. All right, everybody leave. And yeah. then when and then when they were done, everybody comes back and they're they're the life of the party. You know, right. it's just like they're two people too. They're they're a separate person. They put the game face on, you might say. Yeah. Do you, do you have that? Do you do that? Yeah, yeah. I, and especially when I go into like recording vocals myself, I feel like there is um, there's almost a character like acting that, that the song is calling for. And um, I worked with this this artist um, on one of um, it was a personal project. My my 
producer, my, my artist project is called Lemon Blue. That's just the music I make. And um, in the past year or so, I've, because of a lot of my, um, my history with mostly vocal recording, I've decided to make the Lemon Blue project featuring a lot of different vocalists. And I had this uh, chance to work with this amazing artist named Anya on my last release called Morning Station. And the song, um, she wrote 99% of, of the lyrics. And um, I remember the day we went into the studio together to record it. And it's kind of a song about loss and, uh, and heartache, but kind of like the longing, but also the feeling that the pull to let go yeah. as you know, what's, what's needed. And when she was in the, in the booth, I had so much respect for her because before she would, you know, we would go into actually starting to record, she would take a good minute, two minutes to dive into that feeling. <laughs> Almost to the point where she's at in the like tearing up. Yeah. And you can just feel in her delivery all of that nuance of emotion. And it's real. Yeah. And it makes the song real as well. And I can connect to the emotion of the performance because she took the time to feel what she was saying, to believe what she was saying, to have experienced what she was saying and to go there again in delivering it. And so, you know, there's different, different types of music will require a different kind of character personality to come forth. Um, but I do think it's really important and it, um, it ultimately, it shows, you know, it, it will show in the record where, you know, whether you believe what you're saying, whether you're, even if just on an energy level, you know, I think that's the biggest thing I, I, um, I, I face with getting new artists to really, um, to feel, feel themselves and commit to this, this person that they're, they're, they are trying to put out. And, yeah. uh, and it, uh, you know, there's, there's nervousness that comes in, whether you're experienced or, or whatnot, because sometimes you feel like there's a lot of pressure around, I've, I've created this thing and it just has to be how, like you're talking about, how I hear it already in my head. Yeah. And, and so there's sometimes this disconnect of like, how do I even channel that? But it's part of it's believing your story that you actually wrote about. And I think it becomes so much easier to, to channel that if it's something you've lived through. Now, on the other hand, hip hop, trap, there's plenty of people who talk about stuff that they've absolutely never lived through, but yeah. they are also talking about a lifestyle that they wish that they had. And by talking about it as if they had it, they get to in some sort of pseudo way, actually live out that lifestyle. It's like a visualization technique in a way, it worked, you know, yeah. where, where they're, they're, they're manifesting by speaking it into existence. Yep. And, you know, it, it does ultimately come to them if they are channeling that energy. And so it's a, it's a lot about that, that self-awareness um, and what you're, you know, really setting into an intention of, of uh, the kind of character that the art is calling for to, to kind of come through you. I, I like that. I like using the word character because you really are um, a voice actor on a song you know absolutely i i use i always turn the lights off completely i mean like to the point where i can't even see the mic like i am in the dark bro and it's just uh i don't know what it is but it just creates a blank slate in a way to yeah. create 
you know, still it's dark, like close my eyes, whatever. I see the colors, you know, that the song is creating and it's just, yeah. it's a vibe that you're able to catch. Yeah. It's just, well, I, I think it does help to, to have those rituals that allow you to, to come, you know, get into that, that place. Uh, yeah. I, tr I try it, you know, in my own studio, I try and have little things like whether it's just your tea or I have a little meditation nook that's built into my vocal booth over here that's people can kind of close off if they want they just have a handheld mic in the in the little nook there and record sitting down and and all cozy and like if that. that's if that's their vibe um, so you got to try and create the space and, and also pay attention to where like you get into that mode um, I was working with a, a songwriter at, at Atlantic and uh, APG who would light uh palo santo in the studio at the beginning of every session and it was yeah. like his creative trigger because like you know he's he's lighting it and it's his ritual my brain's gearing up to be creative because now i have this additional stimuli that's allowing me to kind of channel that you know to, yeah. to start to kind of prime myself for uh, for creation Dude, and it, it almost has to line up sometimes perfectly. You can almost tell when you get in there, like if it's going to be a good day or it's not. It's not. Gonna oh, work absolutely. Today. Yeah. It's like it's like right away. You go in there for the first ten minutes, and sometimes I've left. I'm like, if I spend three more hours working today, there's no point because I'm going to redo it. I already know that. Like yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I wish I could turn it around sometimes mentally, but I'm just real with myself. I've learned myself. I've been in enough studio sessions that I know that it's not the vibe today yeah I, I don't know what it is and there's a lot of a lot of respect for people who can know when that moment is because i've also been in sessions where you force it for eight hours and no your voice not yeah nothing's coming and people are, are more so getting frustrated than staying in the place of excitement about something where the real real like you know yeah it, it comes out on the record too so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just as important to know like how to get yourself there and then also oh I, i'm not in that place right now maybe yeah. i take a walk maybe i you know go for some food did did i drink water today you know <laughs> did i did i get a restful night's sleep like how was the quality of my sleep the night before and pay attention to all those little factors that allow you to to you know bring forth that that character that that you want to to kind of embody every time you you step into this into the studio or you know step onto stage because it's a performance nonetheless you know yeah. a, a compelling performance is what sells the record every time yeah every time and on an instrument on a vocal on a drum performance on a on programmed you know totally composed on the computer thing compelling performance dynamics all that is what really sells a record yeah absolutely I, and i think in order to be a good artist you have to be able to tell other people's stories so in in, mm -hmm. that, in that sense you have to be very emotionally intelligent in a way so that way you can understand what people are feeling shift your perspective put yourself in their shoes and express that emotion through yourself and your music Mm -hmm. Because if you're always telling your story, then, you know, like you said, it's not always going to be a home run. You're not going to have that many grand slams because you're only relating to the people that are exactly like you, you know, and you're mm -hmm. telling that same story. You're just rewording it over and over again. And, and we artists do that all the time. That's why they get repetitive. And then that's why yeah. we stop listening because nothing is changing. Yeah. You know? And the, yeah. Skill, the skill might be getting better. You know, I, I use uh, just because I'm 
a rapper I like rap. Uh, I use Eminem as an example all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he he captured that lightning in a bottle when I was a kid and, and the Marshall Mathers LP and the, you know, Eminem show and all that. I think he's actually more talented of a rapper now. He's really good. Like his last few CDs just that he just put out this last year, me as an artist and a lyricist that writes lyrics, I'm like, that is the best he's ever done. But it doesn't relate to you. It doesn't relate to what's going on in the world right now. It's just skill. It's just, he's so good. He's just over there in right field by himself, you know? And you're like, well, I I want some substance that relates to me right now. And he's, he's not meeting those emotional needs of the world. Yeah. You know, that's that's an interesting, um, interesting take too, because I think that what's, what's being brought to my mind is um, it's more avant-garde artists um, who who don't often have a lot of relation to what's um, maybe in the presentation of what their their work is. They're not trying to relate to what is already out there. Yeah. Um, and but they're they're trying to break new ground, but it's still so rooted in something understandable and relatable. Yeah. I think to it to a degree, and um, and that's what allows people to still gravitate and get what they're you know. The, the concept is or not i've always thought that this was pretty interesting to me when an artist makes their first breakout uh album and in the rap world they call it that freshman album right uh or i guess in every musical world your first album big studio album it's usually right. pretty successful because i feel like it's captured that uh, dream come true moment that people long for right mm-hmm. You, you watched them when they didn't have that studio album and they were up and coming, right? That album was the best. You'll never forget that album. That one's the best, best because they were the underdog. They were just like you. They were trying to make something happen. Then that studio album comes. Oh, it was great because they made it. They're here. They're so happy. And then that next album, most normal people lose the connection there with the artist because now the artist is talking about, um, you know, well, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, you know, the money problems, the the girl problems or the guy problems because the money, you know, all the conflict of having it all. Right. And a lot the of lifestyle. people lose that, lose that connection. So I, I think that's always been a pretty cool representation of how, you know, the stages go. And then the next album is usually like the one album that the artist is just going to change everything. They're like, all right, now I'm going to try to do something weird and, and cool and, and different that, you know, yeah. some people are going to love and some people just won't get it. They want the old you back forever. Yeah. yeah. It's um, something that comes to mind as you're saying that is uh, I follow, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and one of the things he talks about is, you know, a lot of successful people, they, they're following a formula to a certain point and then they reach their success and they feel like they have to change the formula because they're at this new tier. Yeah. And meanwhile, they ne- neglect everything that, that created that, that standhold, you know, that standing where they're at. And that totally rings true for kind of what you're saying is like, people feel like they have to all of a sudden be this new identity because they're living a different lifestyle when, you know, the, that humble process was what made people fall in love with them or what really drew people's uh you know attention to what they were doing and 
not to say that you can't, you know, continue to comment on where you're at from this new place, but it has to, you know, I think still have its, um, it still has to be grounded in what people come to you for, Yeah, you know, and, and, you and have what to. people enjoy about it, what you do. Yeah. And you have to believe it. If you change it, you have to believe it. Like right. if you, if you don't believe in that change and you're still that other person at heart, people can see the fake. They want authenticity. That's what they really want. I think a good example of that is, uh, you know, when Kanye makes a change, he, he believes it so much that eventually people are like, all right, cool. Like this is who he is now. Cause he, he used to be the humble producer kid that wasn't even a right. rapper. Then he was a rapper. And then he said he was going to make shoes. Everybody's like, you're not going to make shoes, just rap. And then he made shoes. And then it just keeps going, you know, because he right. like solely believes what he's doing. I feel like that's the only reason he's successful. Is he's all in. He's all in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The the two feet in approach is, that's something else I remember hearing in one of the master classes when I was in music school. Um, it was a former A&R who came to speak to our class. Um, and he he put it like that. It was like, you know, majority of you in this room are going to, you know, be one foot in music for the rest of your lives after you graduate. Yeah. And you may be able to, you know, pay your bills or have, you know, still, still be able to do your craft to a degree, but unless you take that two feet plunge, you will only ever reach a certain, there is a ceiling to the yeah. one foot in approach. And that really, really stuck with me. And it's uh, something I'm very grateful to have had opportunities that have allowed me to say, you know what, I'm cutting that lifeline. I'm going to go two feet in on this. You know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people in my life who give me, you know, verbal support too, being like, oh yeah, you can, you can do this. Like you've got what it takes to do this. Um, you know, that, that can't be discounted either because it, it all adds up and, it is so much uh, the story you tell yourself is what you know you become. So absolutely, so really for important the, for you to have that. For the people that are going to watch this and they want to be in the music industry, they want to follow you know kind of the not the, the blueprint in a way that they just heard. They they heard your story and they're like, okay, cool. I'm doing something different right now, but I'm not happy. I could change. I could I could go to school. I could learn this. I could you know get a job. I could intern. Like they're hearing it. What was the mental steps that you had to take to actually take those physical steps? Because those were big steps. You changed your entire life. Yeah. You, you changed your yeah. entire career, your entire right. schooling. It had to, something in here had to have switched too, because I'm sure there were people that were saying, no, you've already came so far and you did this. Why don't you just, you got to stay here. You got to keep doing yeah. this. How did, how did you mentally get through this? I think part of it was, I was starting to see examples in my life of people who I saw take the plunge mm. of the two feet approach and the results that they were starting to see. And it was a, a moment of recognition. I always felt like um, maybe this is from, you know, from my parents uh, that they, they always pushed me to be like, are you, you're into that? You can do that, you know? Yeah. You know and, and that kind of encouragement was always really, really, I value that a lot. Um, and so as I started to see people who were starting to make strides in areas that I really felt like I wanted to grow in, I, it was a, it was a moment of recognition for me to be like, well, those are things that I really value and want in my life for the rest of my life. 
And the sooner I get started at those things that I want to have for the rest of my life, yeah. uh, the better off I'm going to be, the better chance I'm going to have at, you know, getting in that room or working with that person that I really want to work with. And, the, you know, if, if the 10,000 hours of mastery, you know, is, is kind of what it takes to, to start breaking that ground, there's no better time than now. So it, um, my brother in particular, my younger brother, um, was is definitely someone I attribute to one of those people I saw um, make that that decision for themselves. He was going to um, uh, more of a, a state school up in Washington State, and for for fine art. And he he's also a musician. And he you know got to a point with himself where he's like this traditional college route is not bringing me satisfaction and, and the joy and giving me those skills that I want to have for the rest of my life. And he decided to redirect and go uh, move to California and go to music school. And this was after I had moved from New York to California and started kind of my more of a loose pursuit of music. And then he kind of was really inspired by that and decided to go in, into school for it. And then I was seeing a lot of what he was getting out of it and the, you know, how much value that the teachers were providing beyond you know just yes there's so much available on the internet and i also will implore anybody who's listening um that you can learn everything i learned in school on the internet with the right teacher there are but it's hard to find the the really good information um but there's also like the the benefits of the the networking and getting to really meet people and also getting to understand people's life experience getting to kind of what we're talking about now what what are those things that led people to be successful and be able to look at those things and you know trace it out in your own way and and find something that isn't being done or just um or how you want to contribute in a new way or how your taste is is going to change this thing that you really care about. And, um, and then once you feel like you have enough grounding, you just have to put yourself out there. But I, I do, I do think that there's a certain amount that you should feel really confident that you I've, I've attained this baseline of skills to, you know, before I can really start feeling confident and putting myself out there. Um, but, you know, I took a lot of uh, free sessions when I was in school and it never felt like I was like just giving my services away for free. It was like, I wasn't, didn't feel confident yet in charging people for, you know, something. If I messed up on the recording, well, you're getting it for free. I'm, we're all in this learning together, you know, yeah. and, um, and then you start to grow, you know, what you what you value as your time, um, and exchange for your services as well. That's a really hard thing to start to, to understand is, how you know where to place value and and what moments allow you to kind of um, add value to what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. You have to use what you got until you get what you want. I, I think um, confidence really comes from uh, your systems as well. Is being able to rely on a, a system that you've implemented that you can fall back on as like you know that that can save you in a moment of uh, a failure or you know I, I've been in sessions before where the artist is in the booth and they open up 
you know, into the mic and it's way louder than the previous take. And all of a sudden my compressor is like <laughs> smacking and it's sounding super squashed. And I'm, you know, freaking out in the moment because this is the first time I've ever worked with a hardware compressor. And I, you know, trying to figure out like turning the dials, trying to figure out what's actually happening. And then you, you, you know, you figure it out and you, you understand that, you know, kind of the nature of, of what's going yeah. on underneath the surface and that builds your confidence. You, yeah. you were, you were failing and you found a way to make it, make it work for you, you know? Yeah. And those, yeah, those panic moments while they're pretty uncomfortable and you got to do your best to not necessarily let on that you're in that, that state of mind, that emotional state, yeah, they really do help to kind of build your case studies of, oh, I was faced with the challenge. I overcame it. I found a way to, you know, even in the moment when he was on and artist is going to step out of the booth and yell at me because I'm ruining their take or whatever, if that's, you know, been in those situations too. And you got to just figure out how to maintain and how to deliver and how to change your previous system that wasn't that wasn't working for you in that moment uh, in order to bring a, a deliver a better, better service and to be there more so for the people that are counting on you. And, um, and it does really, you know, give you more confidence to be like, I'm going to step into that room. And as soon as that person I'm in, now I'm anticipating that they're going to open up on this section and I'm already adjusting, you know? Um, so it really, um, it can inform so much when you start to, to kind of, take those moments where you're kind of like under fire and, and, and do your best to, to rise and figure it out in that moment. And then, you know, maybe you don't actually figure it out in the moment where you're flopping, you know, maybe yeah. the, maybe you do flunk and the session gets called and, you know, beat yourself up for 0.5 seconds and then go, how do I get, I got to figure this out. I got to, yeah. you know, what, what went wrong and how do I change my, you know, my system in the future. And it will compound and, and all those skills, you know, those, those are things that you can't, you can't teach that in school for sure. Yep. Yep. You know? Just having the backup plans and knowing, you know, what to do in certain situations, obviously the next time you step into that booth, you're going to be way more confident than the previous time because you know if this goes wrong, I already know how to fix it. If that goes wrong, I know how to fix it. For me personally, standing up on a stage, speaking to people when I first started, and especially speaking at schools, like the bells go off, the intercom, the principal's calling somebody to the office, right? And my first mentor that I had, he was a globetrotter, and he used to mess with me on purpose to, to help me. Like he would go yeah. to the office and he would start saying stuff over the intercom. And, and he would have the music cut off in the middle of my rap. He would cut the lights yeah. off. He would do anything to distract me. And he said, if it interrupts you, then you have to acknowledge it. And, mm -hmm. and that, that was the main, that'll, that'll always stick with me. So what oh, he God. would do is like, if somebody would say something over the intercom, he would like pretend like he has a drive-through or something be like, yeah, I'll take a, a large fries and some, you know, like, and he would make them laugh. And then he'd get back to his story. And it always stuck with me. It was like, wow, he's so confident up there because he's, been through every situation yeah. he, kn he knows how they're going to react how he should react how to get them to react the way he wants to get them to react how to control the situation control the crowd and i think it's the same thing when you're an engineer and you're in the room you're controlling the whole creative process 
Right. The artist is there, but he's not, you know, like he's the one creating, he's, he's saying, he's saying things into the mic, he's recording, but honestly, like you're in control of the ship. You're the one it's driving the, the car. The, the pace is all, yeah, okay. it's all controlled by those, you know, kind of underlying mechanisms and the engineer's role in that is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. The whole flow of energy from start to finish, you know, it's, is very much uh, in your hands and it's a great responsibility, but it's also a great joy when you like find that flow and you're, you are almost contributing as much on a creative level as, as the artist is. And it's really amazing to see what can happen when, uh, when you really commit on, you know, on a technical level as well. And, um, and you can really deepen uh, the relationship with the artist too, to just when, when that, also is flourishing and the comfortability and and your confidence is there and that allows them you know to put more trust in you and then that they're taking more creative risks which leads to higher payoffs and the, the magic in the studio yep you know there's no amount of time you know reading a textbook that can essentially you know give you that kind of information so it's really about just being a good read of, of yourself and being a good read of, of the energy in the room and the people that you're working with and, and how you can, uh, how you can contribute on that high level. And, and all those, you know, the, all those experience points that you've kind of racked up to, uh, to allow you to be present in the room and just to, you know, not, not necessarily autopilot, but just to know that you have the confidence to, to, to handle anything that's going to come your way. Yep. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot of flopping though, that, that gets you to, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what this show is about, man. You know, what I wasn't taught and, and the reason why you can't be taught these things besides through life experiences is because they're personal to you, mm -hmm. personal experiences that, you know, kind of made you who you are and shaped your personality, shaped your reality. And that's why, you know, I think it's important that people tell their stories, no matter how, you know, insignificant they think their story is compared to somebody else i tell everybody your story is valid every yeah. every single person's story is valid because if you tell your story and you put this information out there you're educating somebody you're helping somebody and that's that's what the whole point of this show is so before we leave i do want to flip the script and i want to ask you the opposite what were yeah. you taught what is one thing like mm -hmm. if you can think about it in your mind right now i'll give you a second uh, that somebody you know that you look up to maybe a mentor somebody in the music industry that or maybe not even in the music industry but taught you something about life about music that to this day probably gets used in your life every single day my name's andre connect um fantastic teacher uh, amazing mentor and i really appreciated his dedication to the understanding of the principles and making sure that the language you use around the principles is very specific because especially when we're talking about, about music, it's very esoteric. It's not always so, you know, we use a lot of terms that, you know, like you were talking about colors earlier. We, we yeah. talk about, we talk about shapes sometimes when referring to music, but there's, um, there's a, a definiteness sometimes when you're describing certain technical aspects um, that 
allow, it's almost like math where everyone who gets that principle can speak that language. And that was something that I, I really took away from, from him. And then on the other side of things, my other teacher, um, Andrew Murdoch, uh, who sometimes goes by Mudrock, he yeah. was a little bit more of the renegade style of teaching where, you know, it, it's a little less by the book and it was, you know, oh, your preamp is, is clipping a little bit. Oh, but it sounds better. It's right. You know, or you're pushing, you know, I like that. And, and to be able to think about things, I'm not, not recommending to people to go start clipping their, their inputs. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm all for a proper record level. Um, but uh, it was a, there was a practicality to that that made me just think about think about the rules from a more open place of engagement you know like that yes the rules are there because they um help to to guide their framework for our for our work um but at the same time when you go and listen to a record you have zero context into the process. Yeah. Zero context. And nobody cares if you put 20 EQs to get that synth to sound just the way it does. If it's sounding the way it is and it's working in the context, that's what it called for. And yeah. there's something that like you can, these, these rules that help to, to frame our, yeah, the the process but outside of that is this whole you know beautiful just risk-taking area where a lot of interesting things can happen and there's nothing to say that those aren't right as well you know as long as you do you know understand certain principles like you know where certain you know things should be at in a mix or just there's, there's certain fundamental things I think that, you know, as you listen to a song that, that kind of start to make sense. Um, so it was a really cool having kind of both sides yeah. of the spectrum of, of someone who is very technical minded. This is how you should, you know, go about making sure that your understanding is locked in with this and then break those rules down, start to experiment with them <laughs> and and see what lies beyond what people tell you is the right way to do something. What I thought was cool about what you were saying is to learn the language, like learn the language of your craft. Like, I, I like that. that. That made me think for a second. I was like, cool. Like you could do that with any profession. Definitely. Yeah. You want to be able to dialogue with the people who are doing it at a, at a high level and have them understand what you're, you know, what you're trying to get across. I mean, I get it all the time when I'm mixing and I get mixed notes from people and you have to like really decipher sometimes what someone's saying. Um, but the people who, who speak the language and can give you those details, it makes your job so much easier, you know, exactly how to approach something in your, in your own terms. Um, so yes, learning the language of your craft will pay off now yeah. and forevermore. I learned Absolutely. that. I learned that just from working in the studio here and then going to Los Angeles. Uh, you know, people were surprised. They're like, this kid knows what he's talking about, like what he wants in the mix. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll, I think, find uh, 
people will respect you a lot quicker. I know at least as a, when I was an early engineer in the game, but I still, you know, like as far as the amount of time I had actually been hired to be an engineer, um, I still, you know, had, had all the skills and the knowledge and the, the dialogue probably two years before I was ever allowed to be in the room as an engineer and being able to step into that role and, and talk the talk and, and, no, and people could trust that I knew what I was talking about and knew that if something went wrong in the studio that I could figure that out on my own, no problem. Um, it goes a long way into starting to build those, those little micro trusts, you know, that allow people to really, that, that build long lasting relationships. Because especially with music, one of the things I've realized is like, this is such a personal industry, yeah. such a personal industry. Like the people who I'm working with now, are people I've been working with for the past three or four years. You know, they're people who like the like the work I did for them back then and they want to be part of my journey and continue to come to me for when they need work done. And I'm so appreciative to be able to grow with them and um and be able to expand my base and the people they're connected to. And it's amazing what happens when you can just be a good person. <laughs> and, and do do good work and it it stands on its own it just it really stands up people want to want to work with people they like that they like it's yeah. kind of like case in point and the just being an amicable human being you know besides just having uh, a badass work ethic and yeah. a place that allows you to do the work too um that stuff is is just as important for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I, for me personally, like when the engineer that I love isn't there that day or something, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'll just wait till he gets back. You know, it was always like that. And it was really scary to walk into a new studio with a brand new engineer and not, you know, have that personal bond. And yeah. mentally, subconsciously in the back of my mind as an artist, I'm like, oh, we have a lot to do before we can get to the point that, you know, me and so-and-so were where we would just get in there and vibe and create. And yep. they feel like they can tell me when I'm messing. I like people to tell me like, Hey, dude, you, you're, you're not sounding like you, you should, you know, you got to give this more energy. You got to, mm. you know, and, and most of the time when you're the first time, it's the first time you're in there, you kind of reserved and people yep. don't really speak up and, and try to be a part of it because they don't know if you want them to or not, you know? Mm -hmm. So what I- Understanding the room, reading the room, and then it's, yeah, uh, the chemistry that exists between people has to be cultivated, yeah. you know? I think there's, a, there's uh, a lot of times there's a baseline and you can, it's like with any social interaction, you can pretty quickly tell if you're gonna connect with someone, if it's gonna be pretty uh, comfortable just speaking with someone, at, to the point of being able to open up to them. Um, but then those little kind of, as I was saying, those little micro trusts kind of build on each other. And that's where the real chemistry becomes, you know, starts to be cultivated and, and can grow. Um, you can do to affect that. And then all the rest is just, you know, how you interact on any any given day and um and and try and bring the best out of each other yeah and it's all about intentions man like if you walk into the room and you tell people your intentions from the beginning 
makes the whole process so much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the same with any new job, any new, uh, new clients, you know, I always love to, to try and just like so much is lost now through text, you know, context of, um, uh, of, you know, of your intention. It's a lot of emotion. It's, and so much of that is the way we communicate nowadays. And I've really started to enjoy, um, with my clients and, and friends just actually leaving just voice message recordings yeah. of when we're discussing things. Cause they can, they can tell how I'm feeling on a given day. You know, if, yeah. uh, you know, if you got to discuss a, a deadline or whatnot, and they can, they can understand the context of your life a little bit more just by your inflection and, and whatnot. Um, so I think trying to move to, to that as a medium for communication again is, uh, is really important too, and, and helping to develop that trust and also, you know, get to, get people to understand who you are as a person and, and why you, you're even working together at all in the first place too. Absolutely. All right, bro, is there anywhere like that people could reach out to you if they're, you know, watching this and they make music and they're serious about it and, you know, maybe they want your services or something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, uh, lemonbluemusic.com. I'm oh, sorry, at lemonbluemusic. Um, that's also my, my email lemonbluemusic at gmail. Um, that's where I field requests for collaborations. Uh, that's, I tend to keep more of my artist work through that, that email. Um, and then my uh, girlfriend and I, who's my partner in, in the studio here at my home, um, we're currently in the process of getting everything fully branded and all the, our, of our services online. Um, but you can reach me at trevor at velvethoney.com for uh, booking inquiries, mixing, mastering. And I love to do production work for other people's projects as well. Uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, my whole goal right now is to be a, a jack of all trades in the studio and to be able to contribute on multiple levels. And um, just one other little thing I'll, I'll mention is um, my biggest focus right now in, in growing what I'm doing is, you know, the, the more people I'm attracting to me to have me involved uh, in their projects, I essentially just want to return that value back to the people I'm, uh, you know, who, who decide to come to me. So I use the money I make from mixing and mastering to buy better gear for mixing and mastering to give better quality products to the people who come to me. So it's all about just continuing to like a, it's a, a relationship that continues to rise as, as people put value into what I'm doing. I'm, want to just give more and more value back to the people who, who see value in what I do. And um, I think that is a great um, approach for anyone is to continue to use what they're, you know, the investments that other people see in them uh, uh, and return that investment because rising water makes all ships rise and we can all, all go to the top, you know, as long as we're, we're continually pushing each other that way. Absolutely. You got to reinvest in value. I love that. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you, brother. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Definitely have you back again. And we'll, we'll catch up with you after you 
uh, work on something and you're like, hey, man, I just have this really cool project that just finished. I'm, I have that feeling, that creative feeling where I, I got it done. And I want to talk about it to somebody. You can hop back on. We'd love to have you. Fantastic. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to working on some music with you as well. Definitely will. I'm going this weekend to Dallas to get those tracks laid down. That's what's up. Send it your way. Perfect. Right, well, you have Cheers. a good day.